Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at Earsports. <laughs> Part of the 24-7 Sports Network. It is Tuesday, the 26th of November. We are coming a day earlier than normal because in the parlance of the football season, it is actually a Wednesday. Um, everything moved up a day this week because of the football game on Friday. That included the media day, which is ordinarily on a Tuesday, but was yesterday instead. So we're not going to change too much on our calendar either. We're going to stay in stride. And my friend, Chris Anderson, here to help me out with this. I'm still trying to get over the mac and cheese is your favorite fruit. <laughs> is it still your favorite side? Is it the only sides I like to have on Thanksgiving? Well, a lot of sides, but none of them are fruit and vegetables. Let's just put it that way. So I have to call something a fruit or a vegetable. My apologies for the low audio quality of the last podcast. As some or many of you know, I've got myself in a ball of yarn over an iPad that I purchased, and I'm still learning a lot of things. One thing I was not aware of, and maybe some tech people can help me out on this, but Skype is a Microsoft product, and an iPad is not. So it appears that Skype has built a version for iPad that makes it impossible to um, include external microphones like to the point where like on your Skype settings and this is what we use to record is Skype but you'll go to your settings and you can connect the microphone or, or headphones whatever in your audio settings that doesn't even exist in Skype so um, apparently the speakers and the microphone that are built into an iPad are very good not that good because it sounded like I was in the bottom of a barrel while you were right next to the microphone but uh, a little better have things figured out now so um, this whole thing continues to spiral around me and has me very much out of sorts and again i'm really sensitive about this i had no idea if i've done the right thing or not i find myself siding with the people who think i made a smart decision and like resisting the inside of people who are like that wasn't a good idea but um i think my quality of work is okay as my morale suffered has my typo content gone up because the keyboard's a little bit different as, as i'm aware you've seen a picture of me typing uh i was i was about to bring that up as a cute little picture with your little hands in there and your not little and not your little. ipad <clears throat> Yeah, Not anymore. Uh, it's been a weird couple of days for me here. Um, the iPad thing is, I'm making a much bigger deal out of it than it is, but like consistently now, people ask me about it. How do you like it? Is it working? Do you regret it? Which is not a very good thing to ask me because it makes me think I should. And when I run into things like the Skype problem, just stuff like that, it makes me wonder if I did the right thing here. Um, that's strange. And then uh, as I was driving on Sunday, not to return my iPad, but I had to finish up a home improvement that is still uncured from my summer expedition with the home renovators I hired. Uh, I hit a pothole and blew out a tire. Um, you're not from here, Chris, but do you have this mechanism in Southern Virginia where you can build the state for potholes? Not that I'm aware of. Hmm. You can do that. Here. You can do that here. Um, it's really peculiar i'm not familiar with it but apparently you have to have like a lawyer who can fill out some paperwork for you um, and you just kind of send a form in with um i guess your receipt for the new tire that you needed and the damage that you did so i had to pay for a new tire today and i don't think anybody in the history of wheels has ever bought just one tire you invariably have to buy four so i went in thinking i would spend one sum of money today and naturally all four of my tires are magically dry rotted and they all four need to replace. Um, it's been that type of, of a week for me. Um, not that I've suffered or anything like that, but like nothing's very easy. 
And we're just kind of like getting that point of the year. We're like, wow, it'd be nice to have a couple hundred extra dollars in your pocket. And I'm just blowing through cash very responsibly all of a sudden. And uh, <laughs> it's, again, everything is just kind of like making me go, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Should you be really driving with a, a donut on your car? Stuff like that. Um, I'm just trying to settle myself down. So I think maybe that we finish at the finish line or we rather the finish line of the season. I'm going to be able to get my bearings back here, but very out of sorts right now. Sounds rough. I'm usually the one complaining about all the issues I'm going through uh, with different companies and and different ventures. But no offense, Mike, I'm glad it's you and not me this time. Yeah, I was wondering, you like to use Twitter to air people out. I do. Should I be doing that with the government and the DOT? <laughs> like, excuse me, highway department, I blew out a tire on Stewardstown Road. Could you chip me off a hundred bucks? And I wonder if they'll do something like that for me. You seem to think that the government's capable of doing something like that, which you're asking a little bit much of them. I guess it's a thing. I mean, I guess it's a thing because this involved AAA, of course, because I couldn't get the uh, tire off my car to put the donut on. Here we go with another branch of the story, but I could not break the bolts on the or the nuts on the um, tire with my tire iron and. Because that wasn't working, I fortunately had AAA, and I was like, the heck with this. So I called them, and the guy was like reaching and reaching and reaching and trying to get it to work, and it wasn't working. And uh, and he finally was like, well, screw it, let's tow it. <laughs> so he towed my car like a mile to the place where I was going to get it, and it all went downhill from there. But again, not easy. Um, so again, he told me with the AAA, and then the place I got my tire fixed also told me that like, yeah, you just fill out this form, and you're good to go, and they'll reimburse you. It might take several years. But you'll get your money back. So I feel feel confident and late in the 2021 season, I'm sure we'll circle back and revisit this thrilling conversation. Was this flat di- flat tire donut story just a long-winded analogy of West Virginia's season or offense? Is that is that what we're doing here? Four and seven record entering the final game of the regular season. West Virginia visits TCU on Saturday. And as Chris has just alluded to, not a whole heck of a lot to play for here. Chris what are you looking for or forward to for a team that's, you know, been knocked down and has picked itself up? I think positively by and large the entire season, but um, there's still a lot of getting knocked down and kind of a permanent blow last time where you can't reach a bowl game, which you really wanted to. Um, and the end is, is just a matter of days away right now, but what do you have your eyeball on? I want to see this offense finally unleash itself. And I say unleash itself because I feel like they are they are the ones causing the problems. Um, it, it's not I don't want to take credit away from the defenses they've been playing because uh, a couple of these teams have very good defenses. Some of them have very good players, at least on defense. But I feel like West Virginia just keeps shooting themselves in the foot, keeps screwing up uh, with drops and miscues and false starts and what have you. And I'd like to see them kind of just unleash that offense and I obviously not going to go completely mistake free but let's see this you know 40 points with Jarrett Day moving the offense down a couple maybe a drive like one drive or two drives where they score in like a minute and a half I'm trying to think of when that's happened this year except for like the one like one or two random big plays uh, like the George Campbell 85 yard touchdown in the game that West Virginia didn't move the ball another 20 yards the rest of the game, I feel like. I'd like to see some explosiveness from this offense and a stretch without them screwing up. 
has to be through the air, though, right? They're not going to accomplish that in the ground unless someone trips and falls and they ended up breaking a 70-yard touchdown run. Uh, to borrow a phrase from Neil Brown on Monday, the running game is what it is at this point, or is what it's not. So, Speaking of struggle, I'm trying to pull myself together to do a film or fiction for this morning. It's out later on if you want to check it out. And I was soliciting ideas from people because, um, as I say, at the beginning of this, you kind of feel sorry for the dead horse at some point. Um, and there's been a lot of negative stuff and some positive stuff, but people really wanted to figure out what was up the offensive line in the run game. And I went back and I watched it. I do find that they're trying. I mean, they really are. The formations is one thing and the personnel is another thing. And they're trying to mix those things up to make it work. But they were doing some stuff that's different late on in the season, which sometimes you might discourage. I like if a team can't do ABC, you probably shouldn't be asking them to do, you know, X, Y, and Z as well. But they were doing stuff with Colton McKibbitts that was designed to like make him the focal point of the offense. And that was interesting to me, especially in game 11. But made me think they were trying. And then I continue to see this, that they're really trying to take their running, their offensive line out of the running game, which is a heck of a thing because you kind of need them. But I mean, I think the screen passes are not passes, they're long handoffs. And then what they're trying to do is just tilt the ratio. Um, you may have significantly more passes that run plays but if a lot of your pass plays are screens those are essentially runs um to the point they're even blocked the same sometimes so i think they're trying and they they like you just said they know i mean they're well aware that the running game stinks and there's no way you can fix that now and roll back the loss column and roll out the win column um and it was kind of like that a while ago you really can't reinvent things but i do think that they try and they're trying just the question is how is it going to be better next year is is one thing, but how are they going to get better when they lose McKibbitts and they lose Wickline? And the people who they're going to be rolling in, you know, are by and large new. Um, I, I think that has to be the biggest question for the offseason. It, it is, because that's actually when I was prepping for this podcast. It was one of the very uh, few things that I wanted to ask you, because I don't know the answer. Uh, earlier this year, Neil Brown said that the only real way to fix this running game is for basically a change in personnel and for the offense. And I assume that to mean change in personnel, maybe at the running back spots, but also he said that the offensive linemen need to mature. They need to just get bigger, stronger, more experienced because there a lot of that, especially the interior of the line is young. So, okay. <clears throat> the interior of the line is going to get a little more mature, but now your tackles are going to be new guys. So you're back to having the same issues out there maybe even some on the inside. Uh, how much is going to change at the running back spot? Yeah, they ended, uh, added uh, Lamy Constant uh, in this recruiting class, but I don't expect him to you know, spur this offense and contribute as a superstar right away. So how quickly can that get fixed, and what else can you change? Can, it, can you change the scheme? Uh, can you... Are we going to shuffle guys around? Are guys really are guys on the offensive line really going to make that big of a leap between now and say next September? I don't have the answers to that, and, and nothing seems overly positive uh, from my point of view, unless they just literally scheme all off season. It doesn't make sense to look at the constitution of the line right now and say redshirt freshman, redshirt freshman, redshirt freshman, or, you know, and say, well, they're young, of course they're going to struggle. And then to project something positive forward when you consider that your tackles could be redshirt freshmen. It just that doesn't click with me. So I think there's a concern there. Like you can't you can't say it's gonna be better and you're gonna be replacing them with the same um 
quantity is not the right word, quality is not the right word, but the same classification of a person who was problematic this year. You can't fill question marks that are being occupied by offensive linemen with offensive linemen who are still redshirt freshmen. Like that just that just doesn't make sense to me right now. So I think you kind of cross your fingers and hope for sure that the guys who are on the field right now and who will be back will get better. But can you really count on Yates and Moore to be contributing level offensive linemen next year at tackle? That's a tall task, I think. Junior Ruzebu, maybe, but because he'll be a redshirt sophomore. But I think that we had high hopes for Tyler Thurman and it just hasn't clicked. Not to say that Uzebu is automatically going to follow Tyler Thurman's, you know, career track. But that's the danger as a guy that you know the last coaching staff thought was going to be a high impact player has hardly played this year. Um, so there's a lot of projecting that isn't fair right now. So it's going to take hard work and it's going to take honest assessments of players. Um, as to who has a spot here in the future and, and how many offensive linemen do you need? Four or five is the answer right now, but can you still be adding redshirt freshmen, true freshmen to the mix right now? You're going to have to get guys who maybe have some experience, and it sounds like that they, they're going after some junior college guys. Another name that was mentioned today, too, is Josh Sills, who could be a center, a tackle, or a guard next year. Um, Matt Moore, the offensive line coach, co-offensive coordinator, says that Sills is champing at the bit to get back. That, of course, lights up social media and message boards because not directly from the source. We've just heard a bunch of different things about what may happen to him in the future. But, boy, that takes care of a number of issues. Not all of them, but takes care of a number of issues if he's back and playing somewhere on this offensive line next year. Yeah, because I think, you know, he graduates from school. He gets his degree. Uh, I believe next month, I believe he gets it at the end of the fall semester. So there was obviously some discussion about him potentially transferring to a new school as a grad transfer. But if he's back and I think, I think, and he's healthy again. And again, we're getting a lot of criteria we got to meet, but, and if he can play left tackle, right tackle, I, I think, obviously I think he would help out this team more if he can play on the, on the edge um, just because all those interior guys are the ones that are going to be back. Unless we think that one of the interior guys that can move outside and off the top of my head, um, that's not, I, I don't see any of them moving to tackle, yeah. Yeah. but you get Sills and maybe slide him to left tackle. Cause he's the most experienced, probably the most talented lineman you'll have coming back. That's four or five spots on the offensive line. And maybe you're okay. And, and then maybe, you know, four or five and then a fifth that's been split in time as a starter, too. So it may not be as bad as we think. But, again, you're asking if this happens and this and this and this, then you might be okay, which is not ideal, obviously. Yeah, I'm going to press pause here for a second. My wife just sneaked into my office and handed me a Post-it note. <clears throat> I just found a dead bird in the attic that is probably a mummy. Going to need you to deal with it. <laughs> uh, during the summer, we had a bird infestation in my house. I live in a 95-year-old house, so there is some uh, there are some compromised areas that you can sneak into if you're a bird. So we had to have someone come in and build boxes that'll keep the birds. Um, that'll let them get out if they're in there, but it won't let them in. Um, they're called like humane bird traps. Um, evidently, did not do the trick, and we've had one out there for, I would say, six months right now. So when we're done here, my day is going to get a lot more interesting. Um, so, again, it just continues to come 
raining down upon me here. Uh, a name we didn't mention there in the offensive lines, John Hughes, who was an inside outside guy who maybe shouldn't have or wasn't ready to play this year. I'm not sure. The benefit of him coming in was he could redshirt for a year. Doesn't get that this year, but that's a guy who was a swing right side player. He was going to play guard or tackle. Um, his evolution would be a lot more, would help a lot too. So again, you're, you're right. A lot of possibilities there and a lot of combinations that could work, but a lot of ifs that are involved too, which is again, why this is so important because we think quarterback is, is situated. I think we at least have a pecking order going into preseason or at least the camp or the, the spring part of it, never mind camp running backs, um, probably Brown. And then we'll see who's back and how the other players fall in line. But I think constant is probably going to be a guy who plays, um, and then receivers, they are very excited about potentially bringing back everybody who's caught a pass this year. That's a lot of your offense returning. And if your offensive line just makes gradual progressions, then everything should be better too. Um, a note on George Campbell, that six year thing, people are talking about it. It's still, I haven't thought anybody's put their feet in the wet cement yet, just because there's a rule change that has to happen. I think to help him out, basically the red shirt thing typically works best and most if you sit out your first year on campus um, and then you take a second year somewhere after it for whatever reason, um, they're seeking to change the rule or to, or to add clarity to it where that doesn't necessarily have to be a precondition now. So if you do play your first year and you redshirt two other times in your career for different reasons, um, that doesn't work against you, which seems logical, but the way the rules are written, it kind of can be read in a way where if you play your first year, it's kind of hard to say you need development. So they kind of have a question mark about that developmental redshirt year later on in your career um the problem with campbell is that he was good enough to play his first year at florida state and then was injured his second year and then had two seasons uh, really derailed by that so a rule proposal up in april um has not gone through yet i think everybody expects that it will and if it does that'll encourage west virginia to probably go for this however someone i talked to today said that, that they're, they're twisting his arm a little bit and trying to talk him into a jokingly good nature just by saying hey you'd be a great part of this next year think of how good we could be but it's up to him, which makes me think that it's not, you know, written in stone right now. And, and he's definitely doing it. And six years is a long time to be in college and to play college football, especially what he's been through, too. So I think there's a good chance that it happens and they go for it. It is not um, a done deal by any means. But uh, if he comes back, if he doesn't come back, even an awful lot to like about the receivers, though, especially with the two guys who are coming in. Correct. Uh, all I heard right there, Mike, was uh, you predicting a 10 win season next year. So that's. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah, no, I think the wide receiving group is has the potential. Obviously, we've been talking about all year that they're young, they're talented. Everybody's going to be coming back or has eligibility to come back. And I'm not sure we've even reached the surface with a lot of these guys because we've seen them have amazing games. And I'm not picking on Sam James here, but he's just the best example of it because we've seen him have these amazing games with the 14 catch 223 yard performance. And then I believe it was the very next week. And, and Neil Brown talked about it after that game, that sometimes he gets frustrated. Sometimes he kind of something bad happens and he kind of zones out and doesn't bounce back. And I think it was the very next week where he had one catch for four yards or something similar, got called for a penalty earlier, early in the game. And then we never heard from him again. And that's the kind of stuff that happens with freshmen that if he can get another year, get a little more consistent work on his hands. Cause he has had some drops, uh, you know, we're talking about how good these guys kind of are right now and they're still young and they still have a long ways to go. So it, there should be a lot 
of excitement about the receivers on this team and a lot of the guys actually quite honestly coming back for next year. So we'll talk about the game. Sure. Like we haven't even talked about the defense. I feel like the defense just has everybody's attention and respect and you're not too worried about it. They're going to return an awful lot on defense too. So that's, that's fine. Um, question marks, of course, a cornerback, but they're piecing that together with recruiting. Um, they'll probably get Alonzo Adai and Dre Miller to play corner next year. Although Adai could be a safety, but I think the need is probably greater for him at corner. Oh, but that's on, on safety. Sorry to interrupt. I, I just I thought about this today too. But is safety might be okay, right? In good yeah. hands for next year, because obviously Kerry Martin I thought looked pretty darn good last game. Maybe your film or fiction says differently. I don't know if you you saw that part, but I don't recall him blowing any coverages or having any communication issues like he's had in stints. Uh, earlier in the season, but also kudos to Sean Mahone who has played remarkably well. And I think after he had a couple years where he didn't contribute kind of right away, um, people kind of wrote him off as somebody who might transfer, who might be a perennial backup or special teams guy. And he's just turned into a very solid starter on the back end of the defense and still has another year of eligibility left. So kind of shores up that safety spot for next year. I think so. And, God, they needed that because they struck out on those safeties from the 2017 class. Yeah. Just a disaster. Um, Guys who aren't even playing college football, period, anymore. Never mind here. They've transferred elsewhere and aren't even on teams. So it just didn't work. And they needed that for numbers. A lot to like with Kerry Martin's performance. I think it was the second play of the game. or Their Oklahoma second snap. And they just – they had – West Virginia's defense outflanked and Hubbard cut left and it's one-on-one with him and Martin and you're just kind of holding your breath like oh boy he's going to hit a 65 yarder right away and Martin didn't stop his feet ran into the play which is what they've been talking about all the time is that he stops and lunges too much which for a guy who's new to this especially coming from a depth at the defensive backfield that's a hard thing to teach a guy to do and he ran right through it and he made the play um didn't stop didn't get trapped he just made the play and it was really solid Mahone is a guy that during this year I think they we're hoping for one or two guys to click on that back end. And one was him. One was Jake long long got hurt, had a concussion some other problems and just couldn't stay on the field. And just wasn't a guy they felt comfortable putting in for long stretches. Cause he missed some time. Mahone has been, again, you're right. Rock solid. You never think about him until he's running up and making a play. He's rarely chasing guys. He's good in coverage and you're right. He'll be back there next year. And that, that should be good. I, I wonder, I, I imagine he'll play cat and Martin will play free. I think they'll look at different things and try to see if it'll work and what works best because Norwood was such a obvious pick at free, but I wonder if Mahone could do that or if that's definitely Martin's thing. I think that'll be a fun part about the spring is how they do that and how they mix around like guys like Guzman, you know, some incoming players, how do they fit in, what do they do with the, the corners and, and how do they make it work? But there's, again, you're right, a lot to like there. Um, and then, again, we talked about linebacker last time, how they're filling it, what they're trying to do, but that defensive line is going to answer a lot of questions too, and you figure that's a place that they can probably add a, a postgraduate guy too to see if it works. So, um, but they'll need to be good because I suspect TC is going to be pissed off on Friday afternoon based <laughs> on the way that the game ended the other day. They're playing for a bowl. Patterson is is not polite to quarterbacks who have not a lot of experience on their side. The defense he runs, they're you know half man on one side of the field, half zone on the other side of the field. It, it can be really bad for a quarterback who's kind of rusty or doesn't have a lot of experience. Uh, we may like what we see of Daigie, but we haven't seen a lot of Daigie yet. 
And Brown said something interesting today, too. Let me ask you this, Chris. Um, the greatest thing that Patterson does on defense, and I think coaches of the years would agree with this, is that he takes away what you do best. What is he taking away from West Virginia's offense? <laughs> Not well, a joke. Legitimate question. Like, that is what he does. <clears throat> you take it away and you make him, again, you make them beat you with your offhand. What does West Virginia do best? And well, what will they have to do as a result of that to win? Here's the problem. So best is all relative and better than nothing is a passing game. So I guess passing is what they do best. But here's the problem. Four of TCU's five starters in the secondary are seniors. There are two cornerbacks. The cornerbacks have started a combined 69 games before today or before Friday. Um, this is a inexperienced and talented uh, secondary one that can shut down the quarterback. I, I, this is, this is a problem defense because I think they got great players at all levels. I just talked about the secondary. Then they got, I, uh, is he the leading tack? I know he's a leading tackler for TCU, but he might be on the entire big 12 conference Garrett wallow with over a hundred tackles. Mm -hmm. And then uh, experience on the defensive line too, with Blackshear, Blacklock and Bethley, I believe, Bethley had preseason all Big 12 aspirations, but isn't quite living up to that. But this is still a tough, tough group because I think they can get pressure with that four-man front without having to blitz anybody, which then puts those that senior secondary locking up West Virginia's receivers with extra help over top. So it's not a great matchup for West Virginia's offense. Yeah, Wallow is number one in the conference in tackles. Um, their safety... Uh, Trayvon Morig is very good in the back end. Number two in passes defended. Jeff Gladney is probably an NFL corner. I would think a high-round high pick, not even probably. Uh, he's number two. Um, they're active. They get after the quarterback. They just do a bunch of good stuff. And they're what's been kind of cool about them is that they've been around for so long and done the same things. They're still a little bit different from one week to another, one season to another, just because of who they have and what they do. So, um, I think they'll be in a bad mood, and they'll be trying to make a point here. There have been times where Patterson – um, I don't know. He's tried to, to to hammer home a point on the field sometimes, too, and I don't think it's any offense to West Virginia, but he's trying to get to a bowl game because two years in a row missing a bowl game for him, not going not gonna to rest well. He's very good at motivating his team. Um, someone else good at motivating his team um, coaches the basketball team, and they're all down in Mexico right now, including Oscar Shibway, in case you were worried. Uh, he's there. Huggins is there. <laughs> couple of other teams are there um two good games in two nights coming up tonight against northern iowa tomorrow win or lose against wichita state or south carolina um i think this is going to be good for them back-to-back -back nights is going to be a challenge we'll see how good their depth is how good their legs are on their shooters playing a schedule like this but uh, really need to be tested because this toughens up in a hurry um optimistic i think they can win this thing i really do um but i think that tonight is going to actually be a tough matchup for them yeah, I think Northern Iowa is a lot better than maybe I thought in the preseason when I was making predictions, and I think a lot, maybe a lot of people thought, because um, they've they're coming off three straight years of 500 or worse basketball, but they had some first place votes in the Missouri Valley Conference right. uh, preseason poll. Uh, they were picked to finish third. Uh, they got some experienced starters. Uh, I believe they had out of their five starters. Four of them are averaging double figures. They're all playing 28-plus minutes a game. But I think the first thing that kind of stands out to me 
where I see West Virginia might be able to take advantage of this team because they are 6-0, Northern Iowa, 6-0. Um, they don't play anybody, like, as far as death goes. They do not have a bench right. at all. Um, obviously, the five starters, there is a sixth man who plays about 19 minutes a game, and then no one else on the team plays double-digit double, double digit minutes. Everybody else is is kind of into the rotation guys that, quite frankly, it seems like they only get in in certain situations or or in blowouts. So I don't think, obviously, I don't think they're going to go with just six men playing. But if West Virginia is going to trot out their 12-man rotation, it might be something they can take advantage take advantage of Tuesday night. Yeah, they start four guards, too. Like one of the guards is six seven, but I mean they're they're starting four guys on the backcourt who are going to be outside in players. So the post game is going to be something that West Virginia will have to take advantage of. And I think what you're talking about there, they want to rely on six, seven people. They do have some big guys who are not, not integral to their plan. But if they can't stop Sheway and Culver, they're going to have to play some of these guys who are not skilled offensive players who don't do what they like to do to move the ball on offense and who are going to be basically backstops for the defense. And if you get them to have to play some minutes, you're not even playing five on five at that point. You're playing five on four um, against a team that is pretty good offensively. They're not shooting the ball nearly as well as they want to. They're about 33%, but they take a lot of threes. They have a bunch of guys who can hit them. They shoot about 58% from two-point range, and they're taking almost 50-50 threes and twos. So um, they like to get good shots for their guys. They just haven't made a lot of them on the perimeter. And when they have to, they go inside and they shoot a really high percentage from two-point range. Um, so, again, I think you're right. If they can impose their will and they can get to maybe not even foul trouble, but, like, if the rebounding advantage or the points in the paint is such that they have to make a change to put somebody in who isn't part of their plan, that's kind of what West Virginia wants to do. The trouble is that they're going to have to guard on the other end, and they have some players. You know, they, they can score with those four positions that we just talked about. Um, watch out for A.J. Green, too. Um he was the freshman of the year in the NBC last year, was a legitimate top 100 recruit. He's like a four-star guy that a bunch of schools wanted. He went to Northern Iowa. Uh, doesn't happen very often. Um, and a really good player, one of their top players, a uh, good shooter, good scorer, and has been cold yet. He's due to get hot. Um, maybe it happens, but if you think about the way that West Virginia has and has not guarded the perimeter, you know, interchangeably sometimes in the same half, never mind the same game this year, um, that's a team that can get going and they can make some shots, especially if they get good looks. So switching things and what they do with screens and how they defend it, Going to be really good. Um, you you write the right um, pictures about these things, Chris. They're on the ball screen defense, promising but also troublesome. <laughs> I'm glad you like my pictures. First yes. off, uh, but I I think it, I, I I think we're going to find out real fast. As I say, how I was about to ask you right before you stunned me with uh, your your comments about my pictures was how long do you think until. Bob Huggins in this game, Bob Huggins has to make a choice about Oscar or Culver in this game. I think it's a great question. Who blinks? Um, and I think it's going to be West Virginia's call too, because I don't think that, I don't think I was Northern Iowa wants to get pulled out of their lane. And, and again, like the guys that West Virginia can put in can still play the way that they want to play. I don't think the same is true for Iowa. Like if they're putting in guys who are 6'10", 6'11", 260 pounds, and they have a couple of them who just haven't played a whole lot. That's just not good for them, um, and that would be just – they're just covering up to stop taking blows. So that's something I think they're not going to want to do. Maybe they'll be stubborn or, or hesitant to do that, whereas Huggins, I think that he can slow things down or stop the bleeding a little bit if Northern Iowa gets hot and put a good defensive guy in or maybe put a quicker lineup in to better combat things too. But um, maybe Huggins is also stubborn and just says, I'm way too big. I'm way too strong for you. 
uh, we'll just figure one or two things out in the perimeter, and, and he just tries to stick with um, Culver and Shibway, uh, or maybe Route and Shibway. He just tries to keep those two in for as long as possible. I will say this. Um, I wonder if this was a Logan Route game. I'm very interested to see if this is a Gabe Osaboyan game, but I wonder about Logan Route in this one. I can see them playing Shibway and Culver together for a whole lot, maybe as much as they can, and perhaps one of those two and Osaboyan. I wonder how well or how often Route gets to play in this one. I'm getting the I get the feeling that and it, it's strange because I feel like Route is playing the best basketball he's played since he's arrived at West Virginia. Do you agree? Like taking into account the summer and the first couple games. I think no? so. When he when he's motivated and he has a an even advantage or he's not even at that much of a I mean, if he's an if he's an advantage that's great. But if it's even or if it's a small disadvantage, he, he can be okay. But there are times in lineups where it's nothing against him, but like he's they're gonna have to move fast to recover or they're gonna have to do some things out in the perimeter, you know, offensively that he just can't do. Um and if he doesn't have a second guy to pass the ball to, there's there's less and less for him to do out there. So um I feel like yes, but I feel like there are times you're just like, uh uh-uh. Well, that that's where I'm getting it. I feel like he's playing as well as he's played uh since he's been at West Virginia, but this might be the beginning of a phase out. With Gabe being cleared, he's going to start getting a little more time. And I think, I don't know how you can play all four quote-unquote bigs, Gabe, Culver, Oscar, Logan. I think they're going to have, Huggins is basically going to have to pick three. And even when he's picking three, one of them is going to be kind of limited depending on the night. And I think we've seen that already with with, uh, Oscar and Culver kind of, flip-flopping back and forth on who's going to take over down low. And with that already happening, if Gabe can come in and can bring something different than Logan, something different than Derek and and Oscar, and I think he can, I think he adds a lot, especially defensively, it's going to be a a kind of the beginning of a phase-out of Logan route into smaller minutes as the year goes on. And it begins this week. I wonder, though, if any decision like that is permanent or if this is just going to be you know, you, you reset the deck every game and, hey, you might have been bad for two or three games in a row or maybe you haven't played more than eight minutes in, you know, three of the past four games, whatever the situation may be sometime down the road. Um, I wonder if it's just because of who they're playing, um, because there are going to be there are going to be games where the two bigs are going to be a good idea. Wichita State, I think you're going to see the two together a lot because they're a big team or bigger team, I should say. Um, but I think there's going to be times where you might play someone like a Texas Tech, for example, that just doesn't have that, and they're going to run good stuff and kind of give you problems, and you're just going to say, you know what, it doesn't make any sense for us to try to, you know, square peg, round hold this. Let's let's go to our six or seven or eight guys that give us our best chance on this given night. I think that's fair. I think the only two people who are, quote, sure things for, say, 25 minutes a game are Haley and Matthews at this point, mm-hmm. not because some of these other guys are – better or worse, but simply because there are others who can replace them if they're playing better, like like Oscar and Derek. Concerned about three-point shooting. That was pretty bad the other night, but didn't really matter. They were able to flex their muscle in other ways, but we're talking two for 18 and, you know, good looks too. Mike, when, when was the last time West Virginia could shoot a three-point shot consistently? Butler? I mean, it's been almost a decade. I mean, I'm not 
I'm not trying to diminish the problem, but this is a problem that's been an issue for several years now. So it, it hardly even phases me anymore when I see two of 18 and the little box pops up on stat broadcast and says, uh, West Virginia had no score in four minutes, 42 seconds. Oh, for last 11 field goals. I, I'm familiar with it. So no, it doesn't scare me too much. I was surprised that they gave up such a, a scoring drought to, or went through such a scoring drought against, um, Northern Colorado because they hadn't really given up a lot of runs because they were able to just get scores or get to the foul line when they needed to. So that was two games ago. I understand that. But like that was curious to me that at a bad time, they just kind of looked disinterested and the game was getting away from them and then was all of a sudden back in their laps. And they responded fine. They got a 10-0 run, which kind of proves my point. They can score. Uh, and, and honestly, they could have beaten Boston by 40 if they just made shots. Like I think it's weird that they refused to take corner threes. Like they're two for five this year in four games, and those are the easiest shots to make. They're not shooting straight on. They shoot a lot from the wings, which is a, I don't know, a harder, I guess, if you want to call it a shot. But, man, if you guys, if you watch guys like Sherman and McNeil shoot, or even Harler shoot, they nail those shots. Now, they're all really good from the corner. I don't understand why they're not in the corner a whole lot, but they do make shots, and when they step in them, they're fine. And, like, if you watch Brandon Apper, um, boy, he concentrates and he lines it up and it looks good when it comes out of his hand. It just never goes in, too. And I bring this up because Huggins was pretty pretty adamant in the preseason that the shooting woes should be over because we got so many guys who can shoot. There's no way they're all going to go cold at once. <laughs> and it happened. And, like, it always seemed to me like he was painting himself in a corner with those words because what do you think is going to happen? They're all going to go bad at one time. When you're trying to get him all into a game and see who gets hot, like, maybe a guy has a four for six night in him. But if he starts over two and you shelf him, you don't even really know. I think it's like the, one of the dangers about playing so many guys, especially on the perimeter, is that it, it's really hard to ask somebody to come in and make shots right away, um, especially if you're kind of new to that role. And you may never be able to get to your, your second level of shots. Like, all right, me, my first one missed. It felt good. My second one, and eh, I didn't get a good look at it. But now I know what I got to do. My third and fourth and fifth are going to go in. But if you don't get a chance to take those because you're over two and somebody else has got a better chance and your chance doesn't come back around, I think that's a pitfall sometimes. I think it's going to be interesting thing to watch is how many guys get off to a slow start and don't really get a chance to get back on track versus how many guys get a hot start and stay in the groove. Well, you had me going back and looking at the stats, and it's short. Like obviously, we got a smaller sample size so far this year, but this is the worst three-point shooting so far since Deshaun Butler was here. At West Virginia. This 30.2% so far. It is the lowest. It's the last year. I thought it was last year for sure, but last year was 31.7% for the team. I will, I will bet you right now um, four Michelin tires that, that this will not be the worst three-point shooting team in the Huggins era. Oh, I don't think so. Once, yeah, once we get to the end of the year, I think they can get it up a couple percentage points. But yeah, no, oh, no, there we go. 2011, 2012, with an identical 30.2 percent from three point range. I don't want that again. No, I'm I'm surprised the numbers that low because they were shooting I think 36, 37 percent going in the other night, and one guy was making shots. It was Matthews. He was seven for 12, I think. I guess when you go two for 18, that'll lower lower that percentage pretty quickly, but. Um, I just think there's there's guys who can get it going. I just think it's going to be really interesting to see who Huggins trusts or how these guys respond to 
a competition for those opportunities to get hot. I don't know if there's a better way to explain it, but just a weird thing for me. How are they going to get these guards incorporated? And if one of them gets off to a bad start or, you know, just innocently doesn't make his first shot, you know, um, people get a little bit timid sometimes too. And it may, they may check themselves or the coach may check them and it's hard to get them all to go in, but you really can't make them from the bench. No, I agree. I, it crossed my mind with, uh, not to name names, but Sean McNeil the other day, you know, comes in that one game goes three for three. And then <clears throat> other times is on the bench for say like 30, 40 minutes of real live actual time. And then coming in at cold as can be and being asked to start hitting shots. And I, I, I you could almost see it in his face, or at least in the way he plays that he knows this is why I'm going in here. I need to hurry up and make, a couple shots so that I can stay in here or he'll try someone else, which I can see how that would be, you know, nerve wracking at times. When an athletic director gets hammered one night of the final four and hires me, uh, I'm going to pull the Tampa Bay devil rays, excuse me, Tampa Bay rays. And I'm going to start my closer, so to speak, you know, they mm-hmm. like have the opener. I'm going to start with five guards and we're just going to shoot threes for a couple minutes. And I'm going to find, Two guys who made a bunch. And I'm going to keep them in. And I'm going. To, I'm going with my regular starting five after that. Just a couple of trips up and down. I'm probably going to be down eight nothing, but I'm going to make two or three threes. And I'm going to be right back in the game. And then I know I got my two guys who are hot. My starting lineup is going to be five guards or five shooters every game. And I'm going to let them go wild for the first couple of minutes. And then, all right, you were good. You're bad. You were good. Need to see more out of you. You're good. All right, give me you three and you two tall guys go in there. And then I'm going to roll with that for a while. And it could be different every game, but. I'm going to I'm going to tilt the game on its head and I'm going to get handsomely paid. I love it. I'm going to steal that idea and try it with my 5-year-old YMCA team that I'm coaching and I'll report back on how it went. I want a juice box if this works. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. We will break now, reconvene after the game on Friday. Wish you all listening a happy Thanksgiving, including you, Chris, and your family as well. Uh, that is all for this time. We'll see you next time. I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.